Well, good morning, everyone. We're in the middle of a series right now that we call Struggling with God. And uh, in this series, we've been looking at uh, stress points in our relationship with God. And we've said that uh, stress points are kind of normal and natural in our relationship with God because of who God is and who we are not. And so the Bible tells us that this is a kind of a normal part of our relationship with God. Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's God just saying, guys, I'm God, you're not. You're not going to always understand me. I have a perspective, I have a view of your life and humanity and the world around us that you can't have, and that's, that's normal. It's because I'm God, and, and, and um, you're not. You're a human, right? The Bible says that the way that we bridge that gap then, when, when I'm not sure what God is doing or I have trouble kind of understanding his mind, is with faith. So the Bible tells us that faith is this indispensable component of our relationship with God. In fact, our relationship with God kind of boils down to faith. Hebrews 11 uh, says <clears throat> that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith, when I don't understand God or can't comprehend God, I lean into faith and I trust. I trust his heart and I trust his mind. And we've said that faith is, is not a feeling. Faith is not being naive. Faith is not being blind. Faith is a decision. It's me choosing to believe in what I cannot and will not ever fully understand. I'm deciding to trust God. I'm deciding to trust him. And we said that the Bible is a huge part of that. I'm, trying, I'm deciding to trust God's word, that what God says in the Bible is how I'm going to actually operate and move my, my life. So throughout this series, we've just said, man, this is, this is a huge part of it, that if faith isn't at kind of the center point of all that we do in our relationship with God, <clears throat> then we actually don't even have one. And so the big answers to the big questions of life are always going to have these faith components in them. I'm going to have to choose to believe what the Bible says and choose to trust the heart, the heart of God. So we've tackled in that then some of the big, big questions of the world. And so we've tackled things like, uh, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And we had a big conversation about that. Uh, last weekend, we talked about how can, a, how can an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God allow evil to happen in the world? Why doesn't God just make my problems go away, right? We had a big conversation about that. Those are out on our website, graceohio.org. You can watch them, listen to them, get a podcast there if you want. Everything's free, uh, but you can go and kind of catch up with those conversations if you want to. This weekend, I want to tackle this question. What we did was we hung out with some college age-ish folks, some 20-somethings, and said, hey, guys, what's running through your mind? What are the tension points in your relationship with God they fed back to us, and then we kind of summarized these into, into uh, these questions. And so this was a big one that they asked. I wanted to tackle it together this weekend, and it's this. If God is a loving God, why does he send people to hell? Does a, does a loving God send people to hell? You're always talking about God's mercy and God's grace and God's compassion, and then there's like hell, so why does a loving God send people to hell? And how do you ratify those two positions? They seem like they're the opposite. 
And so how does that come together? And it's a very fair question and a good question. And let's tackle it, all right? And let's try to answer it. In order to understand hell, let's like get into this. In order to understand hell, we have to understand God, okay? So if we don't have a proper understanding of God, then we'll have a tainted understanding of hell. So hell is a real thing. It's a real place. It really exists. So we're going to accept that because the Bible tells us that that's true. But to understand it, we have to understand God. Now, here is the very first thing that we should always put into our understanding of God. This is the first foundational block. If I don't have this in place, I won't read the Bible correctly. I won't understand why God interacts with me the way he does. And I'll have a terrible time trusting him. Okay, so here it is. The very first thing that I must believe and accept about God is that God loves me and desires what's best for my life. God loves me and desires what's best for my life. In fact, one of the most defining characteristics of God is that God is love. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter six, or chapter 4, verse 16, and other places. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in God, God abides in him. So when I'm looking at God, the very first thing that I put in place is that God loves me and desires what's best for my life. I have to pull all information about God through that grid. I have to pull the Bible through that grid or I don't understand God. If I think that God is mad at me, I'm going to read the Bible wrong. If I think that God is spiteful and he's walking around with a lightning bolt with my name on it, I'm going to read the Bible wrong. If I trust and believe the truth that God loves me, then it's going to define my relationship with God correctly. Now, let me just say what I didn't say, okay? Because this is what's all over TV right now. I didn't say God loves me, so he gives me whatever I want, right? I didn't say that. My hair looks too nice for that, right? I didn't say God loves me and he gives me whatever I want. What I said was God loves me and he does what's in my best interest. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Life works together for the good. Spiritually, eternally, it works together for my good. Doesn't mean that God makes all my problems go away. Doesn't mean that when I want a new TV, one magically appears. What it means is, is that whatever God is doing in my life and broadly in the scope of humanity He's doing out of love, and he's doing it to bring us into closer relationship with him, okay? So I have to start with that position. If I don't start with that position, I won't understand hell, okay? It's really tied. If I don't understand that about God, then I won't have a right view of hell. Now, here's a second characteristic that's important about God, especially when it comes into the conversation about hell. And the second characteristic is this. God is love, right? That's what 1 John says. And God is just. God is love and God is just. So the Bible speaks about the justness and the justice of God all through the Bible. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 6 says that God is just. God is a just God. He is perfectly and completely just. So God is love and God is just, and let me say this, and we want God to be both of those things. In fact, we need God to be both of those things. 
I need God to love me. I don't want God walking around with a lightning bolt with my name on it. I don't want, I don't, I don't, I don't want God to be spiteful to me. I mean, that, that would annihilate my life and make me miserable. So I need God to be loving toward me. We'll talk about this more in a minute. And I need to know that God is just, right? I need to know on a big scale that people who do horrific things that I can't do anything about will face a just God one day. I need to know that on a, on a personal level. I need to know that my dad, who walked out on me when I was a little kid, is going to answer to God. I need to know that that person who abused me and nobody ever caught any them and pr- charges were never pressed, but they totally have hurt my life. I need to know that there is justice that will be faced. And I need that in my own life. I want a just God. I want a just God because I need to know that God's law is true so that I can know it and respond to it. I don't want a God that makes a rule and then wiggles on the rule and applies the rule to you differently than he applies it to me. How do you respond to that? So I want a just God that says, this is my standard, it doesn't change, and then I know how to respond to that standard, how to interact with it. So as a human being, I want and need a loving God And as a human being, I want and need a just God. And thankfully, we have that. God is love and God is just. And I need to understand those two things if I'm going to understand hell correctly. Now, here's the third thing, okay? This third thing is not about God. It's about you and me, okay? So God is what? What's the first characteristic about God? He's what? You can talk back. You won't get tased. God is what? If you come up here, you will get tased. But if you talk back, you won't get tased, all right? God is love. And God is just. Now I need to understand something about myself, okay? I need to understand that God's justice also applies to me. So God is gonna judge the great, and you're gonna see here in a little bit, and he's also gonna judge the small, and God's justice applies to me, and I because of my sin, deserve the wrath of God. The Bible says that when I sin, I break relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says that in my sin, I stand as an enemy of God in my heart. I stand opposed to God. And that causes me to break relationship with him. God is just, and so he's gonna call my sin for what it is, He's gonna look and say, you're, you're raising your hand in defiance to me, and that separates the two of us. Now, we live in a culture that has a terrible time believing that we're sinners, okay? We don't like to believe that, because everybody's good, and you were born good. No, you weren't. You were born wicked, right? And sin is what comes most naturally to us. So nobody ever taught you to lie, ever. Nobody ever sat down and said, Billy, sweetie, you need to be selfish, You know, Susie Q, next time your sister takes your Twinkie, punch her in the face. Nobody ever taught you that, right? I have actually taught my children that, but because my daughter's actually never sinned. So it's a, right? So, but we, that comes to us naturally, right? So let me, let me show you this. We're going to take a little sin test, ready? By show of hands, let's see if you're a sinner. Anybody ever told a lie? Raise your hands. Who is lying at this moment? Okay, (laughs) 
Anybody ever stolen something? Raise your hands. Okay, anybody ever cheated? Raise your hands. Raise them high, be proud, okay? Any, anybody ever been jealous of someone else? Raise your hands, okay? Anybody ever lusted? Raise your hands. Okay, guys, I don't care if your wife's sitting next to you. We, we all know, all right? Okay? Lusted, okay? Anybody ever put anything before God? Prioritize something over God? Okay. So, by your own admission, everyone in the room has broken five of the Ten Commandments. Okay? The Bible says you've broken all ten. We're just not going to go on and on and on, right? So, we're sinners. You just admitted it. Now, that's, we're having a little fun with it, but that's a big deal to God, okay? Now, why is that a big deal to God? Because God is holy. He's perfect. Perfection cannot coexist with imperfection. I'm a sinner. I am the furthest from holy that I can possibly be. God is perfect. I am imperfect, and so I cannot coexist with him. My sin removes me from a relationship with God. It makes me guilty as charged, and God is just. So God, by his nature, must hold me accountable for my sin. He can't wink and nod and sweep the sin under the rug. It has to be dealt with, it has to be paid for, and it has to have punishment attached to it. It's the nature of sin. And every human being who has ever lived has fallen into sin. Let me show you something. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. It's page 783 in those Bibles under the chairs if you want to use those. And if you're a smartphone or iPad, we use the version app. And you hit uh, live event, and that's our zip code there on the screen. Romans chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul saying what we just admitted about ourselves, right? Verse 10, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They all together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What God is saying here is this, you're sinners. You just admitted it. We just took a test and you failed, okay? We're sinners. Everybody's a sinner, but God is perfect. So under the law, in other words, there's no way for me to be perfect. I can't remotely do it. I might say about myself, well, I'm a good person, and we can argue that, but okay, let's assume it's true. Are you perfect? Well, no, right. But the law of God is perfection. And there is no one righteous. There's nobody right with God. No one can earn their way to God and God is just. So when I'm sin, I have to be held accountable for my sin by a just 
God. So I'm under God's wrath. I'm an enemy of God in my mind. I am doomed for death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages is what I earn for what I do. That's what a wage is. I earn death for my sin, and I'm guilty. We all just admitted it. And there is no way for me to not be guilty because I can't be perfect. Now, that's a bummer. And it raises a very logical and fair question. So what you're saying, Jeff, is there's no way for me to deal with my sin right. So there's no way for me to be in a right relationship with God on my own. Correct. So I'm going to hell. Right. Right. You're not, you're not going to go to hell one day. You're on your way there now. See, we're born this way. We're born into sin. Nobody ever told you to be selfish. Nobody ever taught you to lie. Nobody, nobody ever taught you to, to, to um, be independent from God. We do that on our own. So we're born into sin, correct. There's no way for us to be, right. So we're going, God's gonna send us to hell. Well, you're on your way there now because God is just and your sin must be held accountable before God. So God sends people to hell. Well, let's talk about that. What's the first characteristic of God? God is, so I have a loving God who is just. That loving God looked at me who is as guilty as sin for my life and my decisions and looked at me in a reality of my sin and said, there is nothing that guy can do about his sin. He's up a creek without a paddle, right? There is no way for him to do it. So that loving God who is also just intervened out of love for you and for me so that we could have what the Bible calls a way of escape so that something could be done about our sin. Look back at Romans chapter 3. Go to verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God is a God of love, but he's a God of justice. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all just admitted it. Our sin must be paid for. We must be held accountable for God because he's a just God. He can't wink and nod and pretend it didn't happen. It has to be satisfied. But you and I can't do anything about it. So that loving God who is just and recognizes the reality of our sin 
gave his only son, Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He lived. He never sinned. He never lusted. He never cheated. He never lied. He never stole. He never did any of it. And he went to the cross as an atoning sacrifice. An atoning sacrifice is this. When someone offers atonement, this is what they do. When someone offers atonement, they pay a debt they do not owe for someone who owes a debt they cannot pay. When you offer an atonement, you pay a debt you do not owe for someone who owes a debt that you cannot pay. I owe a debt. I'm a sinner. And there is no way for me to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. He died on the cross as an atonement for our sin. He paid a debt he did not owe for me who owed a debt that I could not pay. And the Bible says that when he died on the cross, the sins of the world were put on his shoulders. He died once for all. The wrath of God was poured out on his son who was completely innocent of the, of the crime of which he was accused. Jesus took our punishment for sin. Okay? And in doing that, he provided a way of escape. And you go back to the scripture here. Righteousness, righteousness just means that the, the easy definition of righteousness is I'm made right with God. See, I'm an enemy of God. I need righteousness to be made right with God. The righteousness is offered through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that he died innocently. Believe that I am guilty and that he paid a debt he did not owe for me who owed a debt that I could not pay. And when I ask for the forgiveness that's made through Christ, the Bible says that God forgives me and he makes me acceptable to God. I'm imperfect, God's perfect. I cannot get to God, I cannot coexist with God. When I ask the forgiveness of my sin and the validity of that ask is demonstrated through my love and following of Christ, when I become a Christian, the Bible says that Christ covers me or gives me his righteousness. That's why Jesus says, hey guys, listen, you're not gonna go to hell one day, you're on your way there now. There's a way of escape, it's me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. You've got to pick up my righteousness. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see Jeff who's a disaster and an obvious self-admitted sinner. He sees me through Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness makes it so that I can now coexist. I can interact with God. Jesus provides a way of escape from the path to hell that we're all on. Now, here's the catch. There's a catch. You always know there's a catch, right? So here's the catch. The catch is... I don't have to take the way of escape. The catch is, there's a, there's a pardon on the table for my sin. I don't have to pick it up. I don't have to follow God. The Bible says that what God wants is a relationship with me. And we talked about this some last weekend. In order to have a relationship with somebody, I have to be able to make a choice, okay? So I don't have a relationship with the Internal Revenue Service. I don't have a choice. If I don't pay my taxes, I go to prison. And I am very much against me going to prison. 
right? So what I have is I have an obligation to them. I don't have a relationship. I have a relationship with my wife, Heidi, because I had a choice. I chose to love her. There were hundreds of women who wanted me to marry them. <laughs> and out of all of them, I chose, I'm only saying that because she's out of the country right now, right? I chose Heidi and she chose me. We have a relationship, right? Because there was a choice and we made a choice to love and be committed to each other. Now, in order to have a choice, you have to have an alternative. So I can't choose to love you unless I can choose to hate you. I can't choose to serve you unless I can choose to ignore you. Relationships necessitate choices. Choices necessitate alternatives. God wants a relationship with us, not an obligation. So he says, I want you to choose to love me. Well, in order for me to have a choice to follow God, I have to have a choice to reject him. And that's the catch. The atonement has been offered. The pardon is on the table. The way of escape is open for business, but I don't have to take it. And if I want to reject God's love and reject God's offer of the forgiveness of sin, which we all just admitted we're guilty of, I have the freedom to do that. I can choose to live independently from God. Now, some people make that decision and they, they make it very aggressively. Some people are like, I hate God and I am gonna do the exact opposite on purpose and God is a joke and whatever. You, know, you can see it on TV once in a while. So there, some people do that. Most people don't. Most people reject God's offer of forgiveness in a very passive way. See, very passive way. Yeah, I go to church once in a while. It's no big deal. But have Jesus be the center point of my life? Seriously? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give 100 bucks to feed my starving children. But the, God owns everything? You know, I'll, I'll be nice and I won't smoke, drink, or chew or date girls to do. But God def defined my life through holiness? Most people are very passive in the rejection of God. Most, of, most people are not opposed to putting a little Jesus in their life. You know, a little Jesus never hurt anybody. A little Jesus is good for you. But the idea that he's my savior and Lord and rescuer and is gonna define and direct every nuance of my life, that's a, that's a whole different, <laughs> come on, we're getting carried away. I don't have to love Jesus. I can reject him. I can reject him aggressively. I can reject him passively. But when I do that, I've made a decision. I've decided that I'm going to live independently from God. Okay? Now, guys, listen. I want you to know something. If you decide, whether aggressively or passively, to live independently from God, I want you to know that your life probably will not fall apart. You need to know that. If you want to reject God's love, you'll probably be fine. If you look at God's standards of morality and, and if you want to be sexually active outside of marriage or uh, live an alternative lifestyle and, and reject all that, 
you probably won't get a sexually transmitted disease and die of it. If you, if you look at God's definitions of ownership and you say it's my stuff, not God's stuff, whatever God, I'll throw you a tip once in a while, but you're not gonna control me, you probably won't go bankrupt. If you wanna ignore God's direction and his call on your life, you probably will live a relatively happy, relatively normal life. Your car will probably start, your house probably won't burn down, and if you're a really good person, you probably won't get transferred to Michigan, right? If you reject God's offer of love, your life will probably go on just fine. Now, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. If I don't understand God, then I don't understand hell. God is what? What's his first characteristic? He's what? Love. And then he's just. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. God gives me a choice because he wants a relationship with me, not a mandate to me. And every choice demands that there be alternatives. So if I am able to choose God, I have to be able to choose to reject God. And if you want to reject God, life will probably go on just fine. But the Bible says that there will be a day when every human being, great and small, will look God in the eye and we will be held accountable for our choices because God is just and his justice applies to us. Go to the right in your Bible to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, it's page 872. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about this day. Verse 11, <clears throat> chapter 20, Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. This is Jesus, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it and the, the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says that every human being, great and small, will face judgment one day if we don't know Christ. So the, the rulers of the world and people like us are gonna stand before God. If you wanna reject God's love, you can reject God's love. You probably won't get hit by a bolt of lightning. But you will stand before God. And you will give an account of your life in judgment. And let's talk about judgment for a second. What is judgment? This is judgment, this is the definition of judgment. Judgment is the process of evaluating by discovering and comparing and then rendering an authoritative verdict. It's the process of evaluating by discovering and comparing and then rendering an authoritative verdict, okay? So let's pretend you got a speeding ticket and you go and you stand before the judge. The first thing that judge is gonna do is he's gonna discover. So he's gonna look and say, officer, 
How fast were they going? They were doing 90, okay? They're going to discover. And then that judge is going to compare. Compare to what? Compare to the law. What was the speed limit? It was 20. There were children on the sidewalk, okay? I'm going to discover, I'm going to compare, and then I'm going to render an authoritative judgment. When I see what you did and I compare it to the law, the evidence is clear, you are guilty. There's no argument, because here's your actions, and here's the law, and you obviously violated the law, you're guilty. Punishment, then, is the wages of that. Because I did 70 miles over in a school zone, I earned for myself I don't know what you get, life in prison, I don't know what you get, right? Okay? When I stand before God in judgment, this is not God sneering. There's no smile on God's face. It's very much a legal proceeding. Here I am before God in judgment, the great and the small, every human being. And God says, bring out the books. I'm going to open the book of your life. Everything that you've ever said, everything you've ever done, every motive you've ever had, every thought that's ever run through your mind is recorded in the book. Your life is recorded. God is going to go through a process of discovery. How did you live? I'm going to judge you according to what you have done. How did you live? What is the evidence of your life? Did you ever tell a lie? Do you ever steal? Do you ever cheat? Do you ever have a lustful thought? Do you ever have a wrong motive? Do you ever do a shady deal? Do you ever, what's the evidence? I'm going to take that evidence, I'm going to compare it to what? To the law, to perfection. Here's my life, here's perfection. Were you perfect? No, we all just admitted we're not. Now, there's an authoritative verdict. You, by the weight of the evidence, compared to the law, are guilty. And judgment or punishment is simply the natural result, the natural consequences of that authoritative verdict. It's indisputable you're guilty. Now, the Bible says here in Revelations that there's the book that has all of our life recorded in it, and there's a second book. It's the book of life. And the book of life is where the names are recorded of everyone who has ever accepted Jesus as Savior, who's ever asked the forgiveness of sin. And when I ask for the forgiveness of sin and I receive the righteousness from God, my name is written in the book of life. And that judgment would look more like this. Let's discover, bring out the book. Let's look at the evidence of your life. Are you a sinner? Let's compare it to the law. Are you perfect? No, you're guilty. You deserve death. And then there's another question. Do you have a pardon? Do you have a pardon? Did you ever accept the pardon that's on the table? The forgiveness of your sin through Jesus' righteousness. Do you ever accept it? And those who accepted the pardon, their name is in the book of life. Check the book. Is Jeff Bogue in there? He's in there. God, I am guilty. I am not perfect. I deserve sin and death. 
and I got a pardon. I'm pardoned from my sins. There is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. When you look at me, you don't judge me against me, judge me against Jesus' righteousness and his righteousness is perfect. I accepted that by faith. What is hell? What is hell? The Bible describes hell in a a bunch of different ways. Some of it's literal, some of it's it's a metaphor. So the Bible says that hell is a place of of anguish and it's a place of torment and it's a lake of fire and there's thirst and there's darkness and you're falling and it's, it's a place of destruction. I believe that hell is a literal place and what hell is ultimately is God, catch this, ready? God giving us what we want. Ultimately, hell is God forever removing himself from us. My love, my mercy, my grace, my truth, my compassion, and my forgiveness is no longer available to you. The pardon is off the table. When I look at the book and I see your sin, and I compare it to the law and deem you guilty, And then I look at the other book and see that you took no pardon. What you have done throughout your life is you have said, God, I want to be independent of you. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your grace. I don't want your truth. I don't want your direction. I don't want your influence. I don't want you to bug me with you. You make me feel guilty. You make me feel, you make me feel like I can't just do whatever I want. I don't want any of that. I choose independence. And guys, on this side of life, if you choose independence, chances are your life won't fall apart. But there's a day of reckoning. And when the evidence is weighed, you will be guilty because we all are. And when God says, do you have a pardon? and you say to him, I never took it because I wanted to be independent from you, God looks at those who would say that and say, you know what? I give you what you want. If you don't want me in your life, I won't be in your life. Depart from me. I never knew you. You never wanted to know me. Hell is God giving us what we want. Timothy Keller says, hell is the trajectory of the soul going on and on forever. When I'm alive and I'm saying, God, I don't want you, 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 leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, judgment, God looks at the evidence and says, okay, I'll leave you alone. Life without me is anguish. Life without me is torment. Life without me is the full brunt of consequence. Life without me is destruction. The inverse is true. God, I love you. I want you. I'm trying to follow you. I care about you. I want to be the center point. Welcome. What you want is absolute oneness with me. You got it. That's heaven. Hell is God giving us what we want. The tragedy of hell is that it's totally avoidable. 
And in a very real sense, there's no reason for people to go to hell. Because the way of escape has been created. The pardon is on the table. And we know this. If you know Christmas and you know Easter, you know that God loves you. And when you look throughout the scripture, when we start with the proper view of God, because above all, God is what? God is love. And you read the Bible. The Bible is God screaming his love to his people again and again and again and again. If you follow me, if you walk with me, if you respond to me, I'll bless you, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. It's the Old Testament. But if you, if you don't, if you push away from me, you're going to have hell on earth. You're going to go into slavery and judgment because you're just saying, I don't want a part of you. And I say, okay, and I give you what you want and life is miserable. In the New Testament, heaven or Christmas and Easter and Jesus screaming, I'm with you, I'm here, I want you. Know me, follow me. Look at this. I put this on the back of your notes. Just look at these passages. God is screaming out to us his love for us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which a man must be saved. Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. John, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but will pass from death to life. Anyone who, believe, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? First Timothy, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He gave himself as a ransom, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Acts, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John, Jesus said to them, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. First John, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The whole Bible, all of history, is God screaming, I love you, because God above everything else is a God of love, and he loves you and wants what's best for you. The reason that God points our sin out is so that the law will make us conscious of our need for God. Listen, get rid of all bitterness and anger, brawling. Oh, I didn't know that stuff was going to destroy my soul. Don't unite your body with a prostitute. Your temple of the Holy Spirit, live in purity. There should be no sexual immorality. Oh, I didn't know that stuff distanced me from God. The reason God points that out is so we can realize I'm in a mess. I cannot remotely be perfect. I need a rescuer, a savior. God doesn't point our sin out to beat you over the head with it or to accuse you so he can send you to hell. You're already going. Why would he shout that to us? So you know to take the way of escape. 
And when I have to look at the judge, and he, because he is just, will not yield on the law, I have nothing to offer save a pardon. What is hell? Hell's the natural outcome of the path of our life. That's all it is. Hell is not God's spite for sinners. Hell is God's judgment. It's his discovery and comparison. It's his determination that human beings have indeed rejected his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. As oftentimes hell is, is taught in such a way that it, 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 it's taught to, that it's God getting his. I told you, dummy. I told you. Now you're going to fry. Eternity, smoking or non-smoking. Every time I see that bumper sticker, I want to ram that car. <laughs> Listen, that's nonsense. That is nonsense. God would never, with a smirk and a smile, send someone to hell. Why? Because it breaks his heart that people choose to go there. He's done everything. He gave his son. He gave us the Bible. He gave the church. He gave the truth. He screams it. And when God weighs that evidence... And guilt is beyond reasonable doubt. And the name is not in the book of life. It breaks the heart of God because he is above all loving, wishing that none would perish. Does a loving God send people to hell? No. A loving God does not send people to hell. A loving God with sorrow and grief grants people the total independence from him that they've spent a lifetime asking for. What's hell? God giving us what we want. And it's our death, our destruction. It's agony and torment because the presence and the restraining power of God is removed and the full weight and consequences of our sin is now felt. I asked the band to come out. Let me ask you a few questions. Here's the first one. Guys, have you ever received your pardon for sin? This is huge. Is there a time in your life, I didn't ask if you got baptized when you were a baby, or if, if you took your first communion, or if you grew up in church. I went to church four times a week and a Christian school and never picked up my pardon for sin until I was a junior in college. Knew the Bible inside and out. 
Have you ever received a pardon for sin and the validity of that decision is evidenced by the surrendering of your life to Jesus Christ? Looking at God and saying, God, it's indisputable that I'm a sinner, I just admitted it. I need a savior. I'm not gonna go to hell one day. I'm on my way there now. I want the way of escape. Would you forgive me? And God, because you love me so, I want to love you. I want you to be the focal point of my life. I don't want to live independently from you. I want to pursue you. Have you ever made that decision? If you never have, I encourage you to do that right now. Your heart to God's heart somehow saying the prayer of the stuff we just talked about. God knows exactly what you mean. But that pardon has to be picked up because God doesn't make us love him. He wants us to choose to do that and choice necessitates alternatives. And naturally, in your own humanity, we stand apart from God. Jesus, forgive me. I place my life under your leadership. I want to know the Bible. I want to pursue you. I want you to be the focal point. I encourage you to make that decision today. And I encourage you to tell us about it. On that connection card on the back, there's a box that says, I started a relationship with Christ today. Check it. Let us have a cup of coffee with you. Talk it through. Process it through help you get grounded in God's word, okay? But you have to pick the pardon up. It's on the table. There is a day of reckoning coming. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Second question, for those of you who are believers, who are Christians, guys, look at me. I need you to catch this. I don't know how you love somebody and never tell them there's a pardon on the table. That does not make sense. How do you work beside a person or live beside a person or go to school with somebody or play sports with them or they're in your family and you never tell them there's a pardon on the table? And I don't mean shove Jesus down their throat. I don't even mean get them to come to church. I mean just the straight up basics. We're all sinners on our way to hell and you gotta get off this path and there is a way to do it. I don't know how you can look at somebody and say I love you while withholding this information and hoarding the grace of God for yourself. The reason that the Bible tells us about hell is not so that we can look and say, they're gonna get theirs one day. The reason the Bible tells us about hell is to warn us that God will give us what we want. And his people, his church, with love and gentleness, are his voice. You may have people in your life that you need to tell about the pardon. And you need to decide today 
that you're going to do that. See, their soul is literally at stake. If you believe this, that, that's what it means. So that's why we tell. Now here's the third thing. <clears throat> to the Christian again. Guys, if you anywhere in your heart and in your mind have the thought that hell is God getting his and you enjoy that thought, yeah, there's justice, there's judgment and all them, them gays, they're gonna face it one day. They're gonna burn in hell. Those immorals, they're gonna burn in hell. My ex-wife, she's going to burn in hell. All them people I don't, they're going to burn in hell. If you have the view that one day you're going to be proven right and that the people that you believe are wrong, even if the Bible defines them as wrong, are going to get theirs, what do you want, smoking or non-smoking in eternity, and you cherish and look forward and enjoy that view, you are in sin and you need to repent. You cannot find in the heart of God an enjoyment that people would forever be separated from him. That is nonsense. Hell is a tragedy that our God has spent all of history helping his people to avoid. If God's people have hardened their heart toward the lost, that in no way reflects the heart of Jesus. And it is arrogant and self-righteous. If I have this view that one day they're all gonna get theirs, then I have completely lost the view that I also stand under God's justice. I am the grossest sinner that I know. I, I know what goes through my brain. So hell is not God getting them. Hell is a warning that motivates God's people. And when I take that hard-hearted position, I start opposing people that God desperately loves. There's no place for that in the heart and the mind of the Christian. Hell is certainly to motivate us, but it's to motivate us to tell of the pardon and to express the love of God. It's never to be interacted with with a smirk and a smile. If we do that, then we have failed to see that we are on our way there ourselves and we have failed to see the tragedy that it is that anyone would have to go. And it makes the heart of the church callous there's no place for it. You gotta pick the pardon up. Guys, you gotta pick the pardon up. Because God's just. You gotta tell other people about the pardon because God is love. And when I look at my enemy, I'm to look at them through the heart of that loving God and my passion is for them to be spared from the justice of God that would determine 
they forever be separated from him. Do you think about it? Pray about it? Struggle with God.